the Lord. We're going to open with a word of prayer today. And uh, just thank you so much for being here again this morning. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day and each and every day that you give us. As always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for your mercy and for your grace. Bless our service this morning in a great way. Be with those who might be traveling or working this weekend or away. Not some that are not feeling well, put your healing hand upon them. We pray for those that are watching on the live stream. Help them to sense your presence uh, there as well. But bless today, Lord, as we continue to lift up our voices and sing. As we sit under the preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts that you draw each of us closer to you. And whether there's someone here or someone watching on the live stream, if they've never received Christ as their Savior, again, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring conviction to their heart, the reality of their need of Christ. And this would be the day they would be gloriously born again into the family of God. Amen. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. It's good to know that we have a shepherd who guides us through life. Let's take our Bibles today, and if you would, turn to Romans chapter number 11, please. Romans 11. We're in the, coming to the last section of the book of Romans. We've been come a long way, completed 10 chapters. For those of you that are new, we're journeying verse by verse through the epistle to the Romans. And the theme is that God has given good news in a world full of bad news, full of confusion and darkness. There is hope and the answer, and that is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word gospel, it means good news. And so our theme verse has been Romans 1, 16 and 17. Why don't we go ahead and do that today? We'll say it together. Romans 1, 16 and 17 together. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we talk about the fact that this good news is found only in, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a lot of different topics that are related to the gospel. And today in Romans 11, what we see is our topic today is the remnant of grace. Now that's an interesting word, the remnant. And it talks about, if you were to think of a remnant... You, were, you would be thinking of a smaller part of a larger grouping. And so there's a spiritual remnant that is spoken about in Romans chapter 11. Now, in fact, why don't we just read the first verse? Oh, and as we go to Romans 11, 1, there's one thing I forgot about. First of all, just to kind of pause right here, I'll come back to the message, but I love seeing the kids up on the platform on a Sunday morning like that, don't you? And all week long, I, I, we just kind of made that up on, on Wednesday night and told the kids we'd have them do that because they sang so well. 
and my niece, it was Emmy, right? Emmy did this, right? Emmy, all the last three days, she's been saying to Aaron, I'm singing with you on the platform this Sunday. And she was so excited about it, and uh, I heard the kids were fired up. Um, we have, it's good, just good to see our kids involved in ministry, right? And get your kids out, get them involved, get them plugged in. We had teenagers, uh, some of our teenagers last week. And I say all that to say, because as soon as I, I'm always looking back at the sound booth to make sure that we're on, the media booth, to make sure we're on the same page. And today is Sam Bandy's first day going solo at the controls back there. So love it though. Love seeing, uh, I, I look back and I'm like, oh, I've seen him back there but not solo. So praise the Lord for getting uh, our young people involved in the work of the Lord, right? Uh, my kids got to, my, my kids ride the bus on Sunday morning as well to help bring in the boys and girls. And so it's just awesome. Awesome to see all ages of the church family. Okay, that's what I want to say. Back to my message, the remnant of grace. So let's, let's get a little context. Read with me Romans 11 and verse number one. Paul writing, I say then, Hath God cast away his people? That's the question. And the answer is what? Just two words? God forbid. Now, what does he mean, the people? Well, if you read on, you see what he means. He says, for I also am an Israelite. So what is the people that we're referring to? Who are the people we're referring to? Israel. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to know a little bit about the Bible, to understand that, let's see here, about this much of it, right? The, the thicker part, the fat part of it, the bigger part of it is the Old Testament. And just about everything that you read in the Old Testament centered on a group of people. And those people were Israel. Those people are Israel. And so what's happened right now is we've come to the New Testament. Now, in all of the Old Testament, there, have been, there were promises that were made to the nation of Israel. There's promises made to the Jews. And, but now we come to the New Testament, and all of those promises are being fulfilled in who? In Jesus Christ. All of the promises from this part are being fulfilled in this part by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what has happened? As a nation, the Jewish people rejected the Savior. They rejected Jesus. Now, Paul, the one who God used to write this scripture, he belongs to this group of people. He belongs to Israel. And we saw in chapter 9 and we saw in chapter 10 that his heart is broken because his people by birth his people by ethnicity, the people who this part of the Bible was written to and about, they have rejected the Messiah. And so we come to chapter 11, and there's this really important question, and that is, in Romans 11, then, what is the status of Israel? Have they just been, are they just, is God done with the nation of Israel? And Paul answers the question in this chapter, and he's going to explain that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. In fact, he is using them to call out his remnant. God is using, he has always had a plan to use the nation of Israel 
to call to himself a people that would be both the people of Israel, but then also extend to all of the nations, and that we all would be part of the remnant of the people of God. You say, Ethan, I don't know, this sounds kind of like far and distant. What does this have to do with me and the life that I'm living? Well, I promise you, if you pay attention, there is significance here. But it also, speaking about this, also speaks, gives testimony to the reliability of the Scripture. You say, what do you mean? If you were to study all of the ancient people that are written about in the Bible, all of the ancient nations and cultures, you'd read about all these little groups, Hittites, Perizzites, believe it or not, um, Jebusites. And I could just go, if you've read the Old Testament, you know there's all these people, all these people. In size, compared to all of them, Israel was just like another one of them. Of all of those nations, how many of them exist today? None. Except for one. And that is the nation of Israel. So don't just think, oh, well, this, this just sounds like far and distant. No, what we're reading about, the fact that God made promises to Israel way back thousands of years ago, the fact that they are, that, that basically what God did is God went on record 4,000 years ago. And 4,000 years ago, God said, I'm going to do something with these people, the nation of Israel. And now today, 4,000 years later, we look back and God's promise is, is still holding true. They, just the very existence of the nation of Israel gives testimony to the reliability of the word of God. Just let that sink in a little bit. But specifically now, Paul says, all right, then what is the plan? What is the rest of the plan for the nation of Israel? Well, let's notice a few things. First of all, if you turn over on your handout, look at the back here, I just want to give you three main thoughts this morning. Three main thoughts, and then I'm going to give some application to us. So, Number one, you notice this, the Word of God teaches that a remnant remains. A remnant remains. Look with me in now to verse number two. So we saw in verse number one that Paul says that he's also an Israelite. And the question of what is the status of Israel, he says in verse two, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Watch ye not? In other words, do, do you not realize what the Scripture saith of Elias? Now, we're going to get to Elijah in a minute, but I want you to notice this, this remnant. In fact, oh, I guess we should read on. So keep going with me. Watch ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left, what's the word? alone. We'll come back to this in a minute. And they seek my life. Verse number four. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Now verse five. Even so then at this present time also there is a what? There's a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a remnant. So Paul looks out and he says, oh, the people of Israel, they've rejected God. 
And God says that these are, that Israel is a foreknown people. In other words, God has known them both from eternity past, but also not only was Israel eternally chosen, do you, does anybody remember why Israel was chosen? A lot of times they, they, they had a lot of national pride, but God said to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest people. I didn't choose you because you were the mightiest people. God said, I actually chose you because you were the least people. I actually chose you because you were a small and weak people, a people that had come out of the bondage of slavery. But what was it? God had a plan from eternity past that he would call this group of people to bring salvation to the world. They were eternally chosen. That's one way that they were a foreknown people. But they also were the recipients of these eternal promises. The promises that I mentioned at the beginning of the message, there were promises made to Abraham and the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. You can read on, there were promises made to David. The promise was made to David that his kingdom would be, there would be an eternal king. And there were promises that were made to the prophets. Some of them have been fulfilled, and some of them have still not yet been fulfilled. And so God says, no, Paul says, no, God is not done with Israel. They're a foreknown people. And then he used that illustration of Elijah and the remnant of grace. Did you notice that we read about Elias there? And he tells a story. Now, the story would have been very familiar to the, the readers of the book of Romans. If they knew the Old Testament, they would have known all about Elijah. Elijah is a real, one of the most famous prophets. In fact, this is what happened. Elijah goes up on Mount Carmel, and all of the false prophets of the false gods are there on Mount Carmel. And they have a contest. And the contest is, is well, let's see whose God answers prayer. And so they set up these altars. And all day long, all these false religious prophets, they're praying to their false gods. And what do you think happened? Nothing. Nothing happens. And they get more extreme, and you've got to read the story. They do crazy stuff to try to get the attention of their gods. And this bold prophet of God, Elijah, he starts picking on them. He's like, what's the matter, guys? Does your, is your God taking a nap? He literally said that. And he, and, he, and he says, and then he does this. He takes his altar and he dumps it all water on top of it. And he's like bucket after bucket after bucket of water, soaks that thing completely. And he says, all right. And he prays a short prayer. I mean, after hours of all these pagan worshipers doing all this and nothing happening, Elijah prays a short prayer. The Bible says that the fire of God fell from heaven. It burned up the altar, it burned up the sacrifice, and it lapped up all the water that had spilled around. And everybody's just like, oh. However, now you'd think after that you'd be fired up, right? No pun intended. So you'd be like supercharged and ready to go. And But then the wicked king and queen, they say, Instead of repenting, get this, instead of repenting, they say, well, what are we going to do about this? I know. 
death sentence for Elijah. Hunt him down and kill him. So after that great victory, Elijah runs and he hides in a cave. And there he is in the cave. And he starts to have what we would call a pity party. He's like, God, I'm the only one that fears you. I am the only one that honors you. Anybody ever felt all alone? Like, God, I'm the only one being faithful here. You know, my, my family isn't faithful. My friends aren't faithful. The whole, the whole culture around us, it's, it's not faithful. People are going away. That's how I can imagine the Apostle Paul starts to feel. He's like the, the nation of Israel. He's like, well, you remember Elijah. And when Elijah's feeling sorry for himself, when Elijah's at the point where he says, oh, I just want to give up. I might as well just die. He was ready to die, actually. He's ready to die. He's like, I'm just going to die. God comes and speaks to Elijah. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, what you need to realize is you are not alone. There is a remnant. In fact, Elijah, it's not just little old you. There are 7,000 faithful men who have not bowed their knee to the false god. There was a remnant of 7,000. And what Paul says in verse number 5, as you see there, he says to the believers, both Jewish and Gentile, he says, even now, just like in the days of Elijah, even now, if the whole nation has rejected, they may reject, but God will always have his people. God will always have a remnant. God will always have, sometimes, some not, sometimes the remnant has been large and strong. Sometimes the remnant, sometimes the remnant has been small. But he says, specifically regarding the nation of Israel, he says there are still people of Israel who are faithful to Jesus Christ. And so the scripture specifically applies to the status of the nation of Israel. But boy, I don't know about you, but I take encouragement for that in dark and in spiritually blind days that we live in. That even though sometimes we turn on the news and we look around and it seems like everyone is moving as far as they can away from God, we need to be faithful and believe that God is still calling his people. There is a remnant. And we ought to be a rejoicing remnant. That was Elijah's problem. Elijah was a depressed remnant. Well, I'm the only one left. And God said, uh-uh. The, what God can do through one, one man or one woman faithful to him. So a remnant remains. Now I want you to see what comes next here. On to verse number six. Well, actually, let's stay on verse five and then we'll go to six. Look at verse five. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant. Now this is an important phrase. According to the election. So election, like, Who's running? <laughs> what does this mean? It literally means the choosing. The choosing of grace. Who's doing the choosing of the remnant? God is. Who's going out and choosing his remnant? The Lord is. But notice this. This is really important. It is an election of what? Grace. And I want you to see this. Point number two. The remnant remains, and secondly, it is chosen by grace through faith. How does God call his people? How does God choose his people? It has always been by grace through faith. He chose Abraham by grace through faith. 
And he chooses his people today by grace through faith. Read on with me, verse number six. Verse number six. And if by grace, then it is no more of what? This is important. It's either, Paul says here, that if you want to be a part of God's remnant, it has to be entirely by what? By grace. And it can't be by what? Works. Can't be by works. So he says this. Why? Because if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more what? Grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, you, you don't get confused. If you, if you break it down, this is really pretty simple. But before we explain it, a little background. The people that Paul is writing about, in the nation of Israel, they thought that they were the chosen people of God because of what? Well, two things. They thought they were the chosen people of God, number one, because of their bloodline, and number two, because of their ability to keep the law. They said, well, we're okay because our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham, and we're okay because we keep the law. Well, Paul says, no, God's remnant has never been about those things. It's never been about what people can do because grace and works are complete opposites. Grace and works are antithetical to each other. You, can't, you cannot be saved. You cannot become a child of God by, by grace through faith and by your own works. My, my favorite, some of you, I did this not that long ago, but I'm going to do it again. This is my favorite illustration of this. Now, you read... You read a minute ago that if it's by if it's by grace, then it can't be by what? Help me out here. Help me out. If it's by grace, it can't be of what? Now, the second part of the verse, but if it's of works, then it can't be by grace. So really quick, if you're taking notes, really simply put, how do we define grace? Grace is what God does. Works is what I do. Grace is what who does? Works is what I do. Works is what I do. Grace is what God does. God, so the nation of Israel, why they, one of the reasons they missed Jesus as their Messiah is because they wanted it to be all about who? Me. They want it to be all about me. Well, self-reliance, self-reliance leads to spiritual blindness. It cancels out. Works cancels out. So it's just the way, let me ask you this. How many of you have seen, me, seen this before? You know what I'm about to do. Okay, good, good. You pay attention in church. Love it. All right, so this is just for the newer folks. What am I doing right now? This is not a trick question. What am I doing right now? Y'all are smart. Okay. What am I doing right now? Okay. What am I doing now? What am I doing now? Okay. All right, one more time. One more time, just to make sure you understand. Just how you understand? You got this, you're smiling? You get it? So, all right, so right now I am, and now I am, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> There's no, like, it, 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 what do I, you can say crouching or whatever, who's holding me up? Me. I'm holding me up. There's no, like, I'm either sitting, resting in this chair, 
Who's doing the work now? Chair's doing the work. Or, no matter how close I get to the chair, no matter how much I hover over it, no matter if I just, I just go to rest one leg on it, who's doing the work right now? I am. And there's a lot of people, they want, that's how they want their spirituality to be. That was the problem of the nation of Israel. They want to say, well, we are the chosen people of God because we can stand on our own feet, our own two feet. We can stand here and we can keep the law. We can do well. And Paul says, no, what you've missed is the election is, is of, it's by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And people have said this to me. This is really important. Because you're all like me, you're going to have very religious friends. People that are even involved in forms of Christianity. That are, that are not biblical Christianity, but Christian in name. And you're going to know a lot of nice people. A lot of moral people. And you're going to say, listen, what does it matter if, what does it matter if they are trusting in their church, but they also believe in Jesus? Well, what is so wrong with that is, if you're trusting in your ability or man's ability, what are you saying to Christ? Yeah, you're saying, I can do this. You see, our self-reliance and our saying, well, I can be religious enough, I can be spiritual enough, I can be good enough, it is actually, it is actually the biggest statement of pride we could ever throw up at God. If you had met the Pharisees, you would have found them to be very morally upright people. They would have lived exemplary lives. But Jesus told them they had hard hearts and they were blind. Being religious and knowing Jesus can be two very different things. Now, I don't think the word religion is always a bad word. So long as my religious practice flows first from my relationship with Jesus Christ. But self-reliance, he says here, Paul makes it clear, if, if, you, if you add works, what do you do to grace and faith? You negate it. You cancel it out. It's only by faith. Faith and works are antithetical. Now, there's a frustration, though. Look at Israel's frustration. Look at verse 7. What then? So Paul likes to ask questions here. It's interesting. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. Boy, have you ever worked really hard to find something and you just couldn't find it? <laughs> so frustrating. I had this, one of the first gifts, one of the first gifts that, Deborah ever gave me when we were dating was a, this little Swiss Army knife. Now, if you don't know, there was, there's a connection because Deborah is Swiss, and one of the first gifts was this little Swiss Army knife, and she had my name engraved on the blade. And I, I loved that thing, and I lost it. And it's, I still, every now and then, every now and then, I'll go rummaging through a random drawer thinking, well, maybe I didn't look for it. But you know what? 
I'm not going to find it. I've looked everywhere. But it still is a source of frustration for me. How many are getting frustrated just thinking about it right now? Like, how could I lose that? How could you lose it? Well, what he's saying is, Israel, and this is the tragedy, this is the tragedy of self-righteous religion, is that people work for it really, really hard. And there are people involved in in works-based religions that are, they say their prayers, they count their beads, they go to services, they, they give money, they do all these things. Why? Because they're seeking salvation, they're seeking an eternal home, but they're making the very same mistake that Israel made in this passage. They have not obtained what they're seeking for. In our culture today, some people, they work really hard religiously. Other people, they've rejected the religious, they've rejected organized religion, but they've turned to forms of spiritualism. And they will, they will meditate, and they'll go to counseling, and they'll bring all these practices in their life, and they'll, they'll do yoga, and they'll change their diet, and they'll, uh, they'll try to extend their life for so many years. Why? Because everyone is on a search for meaning, for significance, and for eternal life. But the most frustrating thing is for a person to rely on themselves because what we seek for, we will never find. And what happened here is Israel became spiritually blind. And we live in a culture that is being increased, is becoming increasingly spiritual, spiritually blind. Because as long as we say, no, I'm going to stand on my own two feet rather than say, I can't even walk. I'm just going to sit in the arms of Jesus. Rather than that, we try, and there's effort put forward in all of this, and then look what happens. Here in chapter 11, we move on. Uh, here, we're still in verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. The, 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 the remnant who's put their faith in Christ has obtained what we've looked, we've looked for. Are you thankful, friend? If you are a Christian, are you thankful that you didn't know what you were looking for, but you're glad you found it in Jesus Christ. And it's hard to explain sometimes, isn't it, to folks? You look at friends or family and, or coworkers and just try to explain the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that comes from knowing Christ. But the rest were blinded. According as it is written, verse 8, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear. What's happening now is he's quoting the Old Testament prophets. Now this was always, this was, you can find these passages always written to those who are rejecting the words of the prophet or rejecting the words of God. God says, you reject? Well, what happens? Well, there's, you reject the word, you go further and further into spiritual darkness and spiritual blindness. We'll see more of that in a minute. It's a scary thing to understand, to hear the message of the gospel, to understand the word of Christ, and to reject it. Because God is not under any obligation. We're thankful that he's long-suffering. 
But those who stiffen their hearts against God, those who close their eyes and shut their ears, there's the danger that that then leads to greater and greater spiritual blindness. As it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, he gives another passage, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back all way. Bow down their back all way. You see, what's happening is they're getting further and further into the darkness. Now, does that mean there's no hope? No, it does not. I'll show you that in a minute. But it's the danger of rejecting the word of God that is given to you. Now look at verse 11. So what, what do we do with this then? What puzzles, what's happening? If Israel's turned away, then how does this fit in the plan of God? Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Like, was this God's plan? Like, that God wants them? Like, the goal in all this is, oh, look, I made you fall. Is that the point? Well, what's the answer? God forbid. No. But you'll see that God even would use their rejection to call more people to himself. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto who? The Gentiles. So here's what happened. The, the message goes to the people of Israel. The people of Israel did what? They rejected, except for a remnant. Well, what did that cause the apostles to do? In fact, Paul was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So the Jews would not hear the message. They shut their ears and their eyes to the message of Christ. And Paul says, now I go with the message and I bring it to who? To the Gentiles. And so the point of this wasn't for Israel to fall, but God's plan, God's plan is never stopped by human rejection. God's plan is never stopped by human rejection. And I think that's interesting. And we saw this in our missions conference last week. While we in the West, we in North America and Europe, while we are getting harder and harder as a culture to God, what are we seeing in other parts of the world? Just a, a, a moving of God in Asia, a moving of God in Africa, all over the world. So what's happening is while one people group may be closing their ears and their eyes and going into further darkness, it doesn't stop the advance of the gospel worldwide. But it also doesn't stop it locally. It also doesn't stop it in your life. You may get discouraged by people rejecting the gospel, but I promise you, for everyone that rejects, God is sending his message elsewhere. God wants to use us to reach other people. But look at the end of this. This is really cool. He says, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to what? Provoke them to jealousy. That's an interesting idea. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I, I surely hope that as all of my people, all of the Jews see that what God is doing among the Gentiles, I hope they will say, wow, God, do it again with us. Do it again in us. Provoke them to jealousy. Now, verse 12, what is God's plan for Israel? Remember, that's the big question here. Now, if the fall of Israel be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, let me paraphrase, can you imagine what it will be like 
when the nation of Israel does receive Christ, Christ as Messiah, Jesus as Messiah? Can you imagine? The point, Paul says the point is not that Israel disappear and go away. This is just for a season. For a season, God, God has opened this door to the Gentiles to bring in all of his people. But there is a day coming, and we'll see this next week, but there is a day coming where the nation of Israel as a whole will once again turn to Jesus, will come back. And that is yet coming in the future. Now, verse number 13. The last point. So we see that the remnant remains. This remnant is chosen by grace through faith. And then finally, there is hope for the hard and the blind. You see, some people would say, well, no, God, they're in blindness, they're in darkness, there's no hope for them, this is just how God wants it to be. That doesn't square up with what is, uh, what is spoken of. You see, there is hope for hardened hearts and blinded eyes. Verse number 13, for I speak to, to you Gentiles. Paul says, I want to talk to you Gentiles for a minute. After all, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office. If by any means I may, what? Provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might, what? Save some. Well, I, I thought that God had given them blindness and hardness. Well, apparently God is still in the eye-opening business. And God is still in the business of softening the hardened heart. Just because somebody is walking in darkness today does not mean that there is no hope for them. That God cannot bring recovering of sight to the blind. See, Paul says this. He says, I am just going to keep preaching so much to the Gentiles. I am going to be faithful. And can I tell you this, church? I just want to encourage you today. In a generation where there are people that are, that we don't have people beating down the doors of the church saying, hey, do you got an extra seat for me? Is there room? That's not the culture that we live in. So the most important thing we can do is be the faithful remnant. Be the faithful people of God. A joyful, rejoicing remnant that says, hey, I am going to live my life like the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I magnify my office. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm a preacher of the gospel. Why? What did he say? He says, I want some of them. It may not be, it may not be a, a whole bunch. But he says, I want some of them to see what's going on. I want them to look at my life. I want them to look at the people that are coming to Christ. And I want them to say, you know what? Maybe I do want some of what he's got. Maybe Jesus could make a difference in my life. You see, that's what we do. We are lights in a dark world. One by one, we share with the people around us that there is hope. We must be faithful and we must let others see a life that is worth living and a faith that is worth having. But we cannot be, we cannot be the discouraged and depressed Elijah. We have to be the faithful and bold Apostle Paul. We have to know that God is with us. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
We've got to believe that God is, has a purpose for our lives. We've got to believe that God wants to accomplish something in our families, that God wants to accomplish something in our church, and that the best days for the cause of the gospel are ahead of us. I love that. That's why I love that. One of the things about that song that Aaron introduced this week that I love is it says, in these times we live in, we will what? Praise the Lord. With each breath he's given, praise the Lord. In these times we live in. Listen, for every person talking doom and gloom about the state of our country, the state of the world, I just want to stand up and say these are great days to serve God. Because in these days, these are the last days before he comes. And we are here to bring in the final harvest of the remnant, the final group of believers who will sing those songs of praise forever. And God still opens blinded eyes. God still softens hardened hearts. In fact, read with me. I want to finish with this. I love, I've noticed in, as we studied the book of Romans that so much of what Paul explains in the book of Romans the, is is based on what Jesus taught. There's these dovetail, these, these teachings dovetail amazingly. If you were to read in John chapter 9, I'm just going to give you the paraphrase. In John chapter 9 and verse number 5, Jesus said this. Why don't you read it with me out loud? Ready? Begin. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what was going on when Jesus said that? Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's what happened. They came across a young man who was completely blind. From the time he was born, he couldn't see a thing. The disciples said to Jesus, oh, look at this blind guy. They weren't the, they weren't the most politically correct group of guys. They're like, hey, look at this blind guy. Who sinned? Was it him or his parents that he was born blind? That's their attitude toward this poor blind man. Jesus looks at them. He says, nobody sinned. He's blind. This blindness is for the glory of God. And he goes and he meets this young man. And he goes and he sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And this blind man goes down to this pool of water. And he wipes his eyes off with the water. And he can see. He's never seen since he was born. And he can see. And he goes back to the synagogue. That's the center of life. That's where the whole culture. And he starts telling everybody, I can see, I can see. And they're starting to figure out that Great, this is another one of those Jesus things. This is another one of those Jesus episodes. And they start to interrogate the man. They start to interrogate him. And they interrogate, you have to read the story in John chapter 9. But they interrogate him. They interrogate his parents. They're like, was this kid, did this kid, was he really born blind? I mean, really? The parents are like, yeah. Well, tell what do you think about that guy that healed him? And they're like, we don't know anything except... Our son was blind, now he can see. And they interrogate the man, and they say, so this, this, this guy who healed you, you know, who is he? He's the son of God? Huh? And he's like, I don't know everything about him, but I do know this, that I was blind, and now I can see. 
Can I tell you something? That's the, that's the, he was an evangelist at the very beginning. He says, I don't know everything about Jesus, but I can tell you this. You say, how do I make a difference around me? You don't have to be a Bible scholar. It might help. It might hurt. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to be able to tell somebody, hey, this was my life before Christ, and this is what Jesus has made my life now. I was blind, but now I see. Well, they're not satisfied with that. And they're questioning and interrogating even more. And then they come, across, they come to Jesus. And as they typically do, rather than be happy that someone's life has been dramatically changed and improved, they start giving Jesus a hard time. Now remember, the first verse we read was at the beginning of the passage. So let's go back to John 9, 5. In this whole story, Jesus says this, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he has this confrontation at the end. After the healing, after the miracle, after the blinded eyes have been opened, the Pharisees are giving Jesus a hard time. And if you skip down to verse 39, Jesus looks at those Pharisees and he says this, For judgment I am come to this world, that they which, what? See, might not see. Sorry, I got it backwards. Look, I... I that they which see not might what? See. So he says, I'm come that the ones who can't see, that they'll be able to see. And that they which see might be made what? Blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Oh, are we blind also? You're saying that we're blind? And look at what Jesus says. He said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth. Think about what Jesus says in these words. What he's saying to them is if you had really understood, it would have been better for you to have been born like that blind man so that you could have spiritual sight. But you think you can see everything. You think that you understand it all. You are self-righteous. You are proud of how well you can stand. But if you would realize that you were blind and that you just needed to take a seat, then your eyes would be opened. This is the message. Paul says Israel has rejected, but there is a remnant who understands that they're blind and they need Jesus to give them sight. They're weak and they need Jesus to give them strength. And there are others who cannot, that the more you trust yourself, the further into darkness you go. So what do we, how do we apply this to our lives as we conclude? What do, we, what do we come away with? First of all, first of all, the most important thing that can happen in any person's life is that they will realize that without Christ, they are lost. If that offends you, you say, I'm not lost. I'm not a sinner. If that is offensive to you, then you are exactly who Jesus spoke of, the blind person. But if you will embrace your lostness, if you will say, yes, I am a sinner 
in need of a Savior, then you can find salvation in Christ. And I invite you to do that this morning, even where you sit or where you watch this message, or where you listen to it if you're online, and you say, Jesus, I do see my need. I do understand that I need your salvation, and I ask you to be my Savior. If you do that this morning, the Bible says you'll become a child of God. You'll be born again. But then Christian, those of you, those of us who have had our eyes open, we do know the truth of Christ. Remember, sometimes you may feel all alone. You may feel like a small remnant in a big world that's rejected. But do a, be as Paul and say, say, I will be faithful. I will live a life that, that regardless of, of who's around me, regardless of who is being unfaithful, I will walk with God. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes as we come to prayer? This is your opportunity to spend some time with the Lord, to respond to what the scriptures have said. I'm going to have the instruments play some music. We're going to go to prayer. As, as that happens, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you, would you make that decision today? Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. And today I put my faith and my trust in you and you alone. Christians, be praying. Ask God that He to do a work in your life. Let's spend some time in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the grace that you give us so freely. Lord, we thank you that we can live in that. God, I pray that if someone here does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you. Yes. God, I pray that, uh, Lord, you would convict each and every one of us, Lord, to live for you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.